We are Lone Star 187. Two sisters that love listening to true crime podcasts and decided to give this shit a try. Since we are Texas through and through, we will be researching murders across our Lone Star state. 187 is slang for the penal code for homicide. Since police codes are unique by city and county, we decided to simply use something that most people would get. We know this code isn't specific to Texas, but hey, we like it and it's our podcast, so we do what we want. Lone Star 187 most definitely contains elements that are not suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Unit heading out to that disturbance act of Peter in a vehicle. Go ahead and reduce but continue. Reduce but continue at one point. Case file 51. Murder in a small town. Hello. We're back. We're back. It's like I haven't seen you in forever. I know. Just finished our 50th episode. We're getting ready to start 51. This is going to be, this is a good one. So we got these big heads about ourselves now. Oh my God. So I have to, I have to walk you through. I'm sorry. Who are you? Oh, wait, let me just tap the brakes and slow (laughs) down. I'm so excited. So I'm Carrie, I think. I'm Brittany. And together we are Lone Star 187. We decided we're going to record, right? So I'm thinking, I have lots of stories in my back pocket. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know what I want to watch. So I don't even, I don't know what I want to do yet. So I'm thinking, you know what? I'm just going to watch some shows and and think about it, right? So I've been watching Hulu. This was yesterday, by the way. Mm -hmm. I've been watching Hulu while I was working all day long. And so after work, after I shut my work laptop, I looked through the thing and I was like, oh, there's this show called Southern Gothic. Oh, let me just, that sounds very cool. Like, I don't even know what it's about, but I'm going to watch it. So I queue up the show. It's on Hulu? It's on Hulu. I'm mentally adding it to my list. Yes, add it. And all of you out there that are listening, do it. So I queue it up. The first episode, can you believe it's in Texas? Of course it is. Right? And so this is where I got the idea for the show, for the episode. And so I'm hooked immediately already. Then I hear these three words about where they find one of the victims. Are you ready for this? Oh, my gosh. I'm glad you're sitting down. Barnwell Mountain Recreational Area. Shut the front door. Where I've been going with my Jeep friends... Two separate times. Why does this keep taking you there? That's what I'm telling you. Oh I, God, I, I already like... had, I have chills. I already had stories in my back pocket. I was guided to this show. Then I'm watching it. And then when they say, they find, find the first victim and they say where she was by, I was like, oh my God, this, I don't care where this is going. I have to do this yeah, story. I've been there multiple times. Yes. Just a I couple of weeks ago. There. Yes. So when they're you saying, didn't find any dead bodies? I didn't find any dead bodies. Or murders? There, I don't think so. I mean, not not obvious. <laughs> you were so bad. <laughs> Only a handful are gonna get that, but that's okay. So, do you got your seatbelt on? Are you buckled in? Are you ready? Keep your hands free and clear. Four point harness. On. Keep your hands in the car. Okay? okay. Don't be hanging shit out. Okay. So we're in Hawkins, Texas, 
which is a city Hawkins. in Wood County, not Hood, Wood, Wood County. The population is 1,339. Damn. Yep, and that's like this year. Like oh at the time the murders happened, there was only like a thousand people. What do I need to put in my time machine? Uh, we're gonna have to go back pretty far, but I'm not there yet. Hold on. The only area attractions there are the, it's really close to Tyler, Texas. It's the Tyler State Park, and they have a lake there. It's called Lake Hawkins, okay? okay. And it is exactly 117 miles east of Plano. Okay. Okay? So I told you guys where I got the content. I got it from the Southern Gothic first episode. I don't know the name, but it's the very first episode, so just cue that shit up. And I got a lot of it from the Tyler Morning Telegraph and the Fort Worth Star Telegram on newspapers.com. Again, we're in summer in Texas, so this is May 5th of 1986. Wow. So I'm fresh out of high school. I am like doing my partying. I'm having a good time. I'm drinking, going to concerts, hanging out at the lake. I'm just a little 10 bonfires, and I'm having a good old time. Like I'm, just I'm like living my best how life. To walk. I'm learning well, about Maybe not food. my best life, but I'm living my best 20s life. So I'm like little responsibilities, not living at home. Well, you're drink, not 20 drink. yet, right? Aren't you 19? Because I'm not even a year yet. Yeah, I'm not. Well, I'm almost 20. Okay. I will be 20 in September of this year. Okay, got it. Right? Yes, I'll be 20. I can't math. Don't make me math. Okay, so. Uh, oh, you would be 20. You'd be 21. That's what Yeah, September. I'll be 20. Damn. And we are not drinking, folks. This no, is, but I'm going to be 36 in 30 days. I don't want to talk about it because I'll be 56 in some days after that. Okay, we're digressing. We are sidetrack nation tonight, people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, it is May 5th, 1986. A worried mom. It's Cinco de Mayo? It is. <laughs> I didn't even think about it when I was doing the story. You're right. It's Cinco de Mayo. It's Cinco de Mayo. Isn't that what, isn't that what yeah. it is? Cinco de Mayo. There's a mom sitting in her in her living room, worried about her daughter. Her daughter was supposed to be home. She has a curfew. She's supposed to be home at 10. She's not home. And so she's pacing, and she's looking out the window, and she's pacing. She's like, okay, I'm going to call the other people's parents that my daughter was with and see if they're home. So she makes two calls. They're not home either. So yes. now the parents are worried, okay? So they call the police, and they report all three of their children missing. The children are, well, I say they're children. They're teens. One of them is Susan Harrison, who at the time was 19, Gina Turner, who was 20, and Brian Boone, who was also 19. You could have been partying with these people. Exactly. Especially Gina, because she graduated the same year I graduated, right? So she's my age. So they all three decided they're going to go to the lake. So it's a Tuesday. They tell their parents, okay, we're going to the lake. And they don't even leave until like 7.30 or whatever. So they leave and they drive to the lake, but they were supposed to be home by 10. They don't make it. The very next day, a state cleaning crew is picking up trash at a roadside park on top of a mountain. They found a partially clothed body of an 18-year-old female. Okay? It's not a mannequin. No. Not a mannequin. Why is it always the good people that find the bodies? Like cleanup crews... Hunters, fishermen, you know? Because they're out. They're just unassumingly out. They're just doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And they just happen to... That's why I don't jog. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a fucking mannequin. Okay. (laughs) So the cops are out searching. 
So while they're searching, the, the clean-in crew finds him. So finds her. So they found her. It was around 1230. Uh, they said that she was very apparent that she had been strangled and sexually assaulted. Assaulted. I feel like, you know what I mean? I felt like Ace Ventura right there. <laughs> Add that to the list that I stole. Assaulted. Assaulted. Sexually assaulted. Assaulted. Doesn't that seem like Ace Ventura? Yes. Okay. This is very serious and we're... Okay. She was strangled and sexually assaulted. Her body was dumped over an embankment at Barnwell Mountain Park on State Highway 155, which is five miles north of Gilmer, Texas. And I've been to this place a couple of times, and it is very mountainous. It is very heavily wooded. Uh, I can see why this place was chosen, because I get it. You can hide stuff easily. Yep. Um, it says, even though I said that, it says her body wasn't hidden. It was at the west edge of the park where the state crews cut the grass. So that whoever did this was in a hurry. Um, her clothes were found several feet away near a picnic table. They said, again, she was strangled, but with her own panties. <gasps> mm -hmm. And oh. he said she must have put up one hell of a fight because she had bruises all over her body. Um, they also found a pair of shorts and panties that belonged to her friend Gina at another nearby picnic table in the heavily wooded mountainous area. Um, the two women and Brian were abducted sometime after 7.30 on Sunday from Lake Hawkins. So they found Suzanne and her clothes and Gina's clothes, but they still haven't found Gina or Brian at this point. The two are missing and they found Susan, Suzanne dead. Mm. So they decide, okay, well, let's start, let's find their car. So they're looking around for the, the truck. But in the meantime, the brother had found the truck. It was parked by like close up to the water, like they had parked a truck right there and just decided to swim right there. So the brother found the truck, called the cops. So they came over. The doors were unlocked. The windows were open. And both the purses that belonged to the girls were in the floorboard. No signs of struggle. Meanwhile, the there's another call into the cops and the cops get this call. And this couple was like, hey, look, we were sitting at the lake and this guy came up and tried to rob us. And this happened about the same time that the pickup, pickup wasn't found until 1 a.m. The time when this couple called, they didn't call until later on. But the time when this happened was just about 15 minutes after they think the um, three people were abducted. So okay. it's around the same time frame. So they said, the couple said that they were in their car making out. And this man drove by really slow and slowed down and made eye contact with them. And then kept going, turned around, came back and pulled up and stopped beside their car. Gets out, points a gun and says, give me all of your money. And the, the boyfriend was like, I don't have any money. I have some beer in the back of my car. And so the guy kind of looked at him and he put his gun in his waistband. So the, the boyfriend got out and took the guy to the back of his car and was trying to treat him like, like we're, Hey man, we're friends. Like, look, here's some beer. You look thirsty. Gives him a couple of beers. They're shooting the shit. He starts telling him that he used to travel with the hell's angels and that his nickname is animal. And that like, he just feels like killing somebody. So somehow the boyfriend talks 
the guy into letting him go. So they actually do get to leave with their lives. And their girlfriend's like freaking out in the car. She can't believe that they're actually driving away. Because she said that when he pulled the gun, she was like, I'm dying. I'm dead. I'm dying tonight. I can just, I just know. I'm not ever going back home again. The witnesses that saw this car driving around said that it was a Bronco. That's all they could say. Um, and so, of course, this is a small town. So news is going to spread quickly, especially when it's, tra it's tragic like this. And so many people that lived in the town knew all three of them. Um, so the word that they were missing and that Suzanne was found murdered sent shockwaves through the entire small, quiet town. Uh, they were three of the brightest and most respectful youths in the community. Uh, Gina and Suzanne served as cheerleaders. Uh, friends watched Gina stand proudly as valedictorian for her class whenever she graduated. And a lot of the families rooted for Brian when he played football on, uh, and he was on the basketball team. I mean, you know how it is. Mm -hmm. Small town, Friday night, yeah. football. Everybody's, football, football, everybody's football. at the stadium. Yep. Watching. Businesses close. Yep. They have parades. Everybody goes, watch football. It's fun. Mm -hmm. On May the 7th, which is a couple of days later, they have they have a funeral for Susan and or Suzanne. And because so many people wanted to go, they had to have it at the high school auditorium because they didn't have another place in the town that was big enough for everybody. Oh, wow. So more than 800 people showed up. So this tiny town is just like clinging mm -hmm. to each other. Um, she was remembered fondly by those by everybody and even people that didn't know her very well as the smiling girl at the drugstore or the smiling cheerleader on crutches. Mm, but they haven't found the other two people yet. Nope, not yet. So I bet like the people, like can you imagine Gina and the boys' parents yeah. at that funeral? Like this is going to be us in just a couple of days, yep. hopefully. Especially considering meaning they that, found Gina's clothes. Right, I mean like not hopefully meaning like hopefully they're gone, but... I just wish you want some closure. Like I just right? want it to be over. Because at this point, you, I mean, it's still pretty early. Like, they, it's only been three days. Mm -hmm. Two they days. Found her on the fifth. Mm -hmm. And this is the seventh. So it's only been a couple of days. So, yeah, I mean, Can every day that goes by, it's less likely that they're going to be alive. But oh my God, I can't. I and not know. Like, and what if she's alive somewhere and she, it she's not crying, be able, she's you know? cold, or, you know, as a parent, you just, you're, she's hungry or he's hungry or. Because, like, never you know, in your life, when you after you have a child, you always know where your child is. Like, at any moment, you could be like, where's this kid? And you just know. Mm -hmm. You know where they are. And to not know is terrifying. I can't even imagine. I would be such a freaking basket case. You'd have to come. I think you guys would have to pump me full of drugs because I don't think I would be able to sleep and I would nonstop be looking. Yeah. Not, I would I would kill myself trying to Or look. kill somebody else while I'll, falling asleep at the wheel. Yeah. Room. I, I, I wouldn't be able to stop looking. I don't think yeah. I could you guys would physically have to make me stop. I don't yeah. think I could I don't think I could I couldn't either. make myself stop. Okay, so May the eighth, they arrest this thirty eight year old man. His name is Jeremy McFadden. Um, because they feel like he might be the person that did the attempted robbery. He fits the description. He drives a Bronco. So they bring him in. He was outside uh, Mineola city limits, which I'm not sure where that is. I don't think it's very far. So he didn't go very far. Um, so they charged him. They arrested him. They, they brought him in for questioning. They talked to him all night. And then after that, he was charged with two counts of attempted aggravated robbery with 50,000 bond on each count. So now he's in jail for $100,000 bond, okay? So while they have him in there, they're like, I wonder if he had anything to do with this Suzanne murder, right? So they're trying to, they're, they don't want to like 
accuse him, but they're like, okay, they're going to process his Bronco, see if they can find anything. They start looking into his background. He was... Couldn't they like bring in that couple and see if maybe he looked like this guy? They did, and they did, and he did, which is why they were like, "Oh, that's one of the attempted robberies he's being arrested for." Yeah. Oh, okay. okay, The 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 attempted robbery was the two cup was the couple they Mm -hmm. identified him. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. Because he had like, I forgot to say this in the in the episode. It shows him. He's got like tattoos. One of them is like on his chest, and I'll show you pictures. It looks like a skull kind of thing with flames, maybe. And then over here, it's got some saying about death before dishonor or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they were easily able to identify him once they saw us because he had a when they when he tried to rob them, he had a like a flannel shirt, but it was open, so mm-hmm. he could see they could see his chest and all that. So they were able to say, "Yes, that's him." So that's whenever they okay. arrest charged him with the aggravated robbery, attempted aggravated robbery. They start looking in his background. He was paroled in July from the Texas Department of Corrections. He was serving time for three sex charges. He was convicted in 1977 for two counts of rape in Haskell and Denton counties. Mm. Okay. Then they let him out and he was on parole. He went back to prison in 1979 for violating that parole in an aggravated rape of a Shackleford County woman. So he had gone to his, he had a job. So he goes to his job to get his check. He went in to quit. So the lady, the secretary there gives him his check. And then he like rapes her and leaves. Did he say, I'm taking the money and run? Basically. That's, she did, what did she do? I'm not saying that girl deserves it, but like you went there, you got your money and you left. So what clearly had no control. I think what, what you're seeing, what you should be getting from this is this guy had no control. He did whatever he wanted. He has no respect for women, clearly. And so at some point, there's a lot of stories about how, but he ends up getting the nickname of animal. So he acts like a crazy animal. And you should see the picture of him when they first arrest him. He looks crazy. So at this point, the residents of Hawkins are so frustrated. So they they, uh, decide they're going to come up with some rewards. So they have like a $5,000 reward for... Murder conviction of the this guy or whoever did it. A thousand dollar reward if you can just help them find the missing friends. And there was a two thousand one for something else. And the sheriff's office are constantly getting tips and hearing a lot of rumors, but none of that pans out. So they're like really frustrated. They're mm-hmm. pretty sure he did it, but they don't really have a lot of evidence on him. So every day they're they're searching using horses, helicopters. The divers continue to check the lake to try to find Brian and Gina. And so they believe that Suzanne wasn't killed at the lake close to Barnwell where they found her. Because they can't find any evidence anywhere in the truck, around the truck, nowhere. And the autopsy report did confirm that she was in fact strangled and had suffered three blows to her head with a blunt object. May 10th, 1986. So brutal. Two bodies are found. By a farm near Or City. Okay. Or City? Yes. Yep. We know where that is. We do. These bodies were about 10 miles northeast of where Suzanne was found. Um, obviously, unfortunately, they're identified as Gina Turner and Brian Boone. Both were killed by gunshot wounds. And they didn't say anything about sexual assault on Gina, but it just says they were they were killed by gunshot wounds. He's, he's still in jail. 
this McFadden do? Okay. They have the, found the two. So at least those parents have closure. Mm -hmm. They're not wondering anymore. Mm -hmm. It's got to be gut wrenching, but at least now they know and their children can be put to rest. And again, like I said earlier there, they can go and mourn the loss of their child. Mm -hmm. So we're in July of 1986. The article said, Residents sit up lawn chairs on their porches to keep an eye on the biggest excitement they've seen in a long time, a manhunt for an, an escaped criminal. Oh, God. So they interviewed this lady named Helen Patterson. She goes, when I first looked out the door, there were nine police cars. So I've just been sitting out here on the porch watching all the police cars and ambulances, horses and dogs coming in and all the reporters and the and the." Reporter was like, well, aren't you afraid? She goes, no, I'm not afraid. Look, nobody's going to bother me with all this shit going on. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? They've never seen anything. I bet every single policeman and off-duty policeman were working that day. Everyone. Well, the reason they were working, well, they were all searching. But Jeremy McFadden, he's really pissed off because he's been asking for a phone call all day and they've been putting him off. It, because they knew that he is has a bad history they didn't want to have him have access to the phone unless they had enough coverage. And earlier in the day, they didn't have enough people there to watch him and watch everybody else and let him make his phone call. So they kept putting him off, putting him off, putting him off. So finally, they let him take his phone call. And there's this other sheriff. Her name is Rosalie Williams. She's standing over here watching, watching her section. And she sees the jailer let McFadden out and he made a huge mistake. He walked in front of McFadden instead of walking behind him. So the jailer's walking in front of McFadden and McFadden's got some kind of metal object in his hand and he hits the guy, the jailer on the back of the head, knocks him out, gets his keys, looks at Rosalie and says, you're coming with me. So he takes her hostage oh my God. and they take off. Naturally, he chooses the female. Well, naturally. Some of the backstory on that, and I read this after, and I was like, oh, my God, how twisted. So he had, the jail is set up differently now, but back when he was in that jail, the people people like him were on the top floor, so it gave them a bird's eye view of everything that was going all around. He told Rosalie while he was had her kidnapped that he had been watching everything down there. He knew her, he knew when she left, when she got there, what she drove. So he knew, he'd already planned. He said, I knew when I was leaving, I was taking you because I know which car you drive. So they get in her car to try to leave. He doesn't realize that it's standard and he can't drive a standard. Uh. So he makes her get in his lap and help him drive the car. So they're trying to drive like that and he hits a tree. So they get out and run and they find this box car. So he keeps her in this box car for like, I don't know, oh, at least overnight. And then he gets all freaked out and he thinks he keeps hearing dogs bark. So he tells her, I'm going to go get some water. So he gets out of the box car to go find water. She realizes this is my chance, right? Mm -hmm. So she jumps out of the box car, army crawls for a while, and then takes off running. She comes to a house and goes in and this little girl says, oh my God, I just saw you on TV. <gasps> so because they know she's been mm -hmm. kidnapped. Mm -hmm. And guess who lives it's across like a movie. The, and guess who lives across the street from these people? Helen Patterson. Oh my She's god. She's on her porch and she gets to see the whole thing. Oh my god, I want to be with her. I know, right? Oh, let's see. This is like, is this a movie? This should be a movie. I know. So of course, when the officers get there to get Rosalie, she's crying hysterically, but obviously she managed to tell the officers what happened and she wasn't hurt. Good. Not physically anyway. Good. Obviously, that's a lot of trauma, yeah, right? Yeah. 
So two days later, they finally find um, McFuckerhead McFuckerhead near a school building, not far from where the officers were already searching. School building. Get this. Three Collin County Sheriff's deputies were near the Big Sandy High School. Big Sandy is the town that you go through that's close to Barnwell. Okay. I always thought that was a funny name, Big Sandy. Anyway, so the, the deputies say all of a sudden McFadden walked out of the woods walked up to one of the officers and surrendered to them. So I feel like he was hungry and thirsty and knew he knew he was caught. Yeah, and it's hot. It's July. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like 100 degree outside. Yep. And you haven't had any food, at least in prison. You've got a bed and you've got some food and you get water. You're welcome. Yeah, even though I wish they gave you like a crumbs drop of water. Here's your one crumb, your one ounce of water. So the next day, crowds of people that live in this town are cheering. All they're all covering the lawn of the Upshur County Courthouse. You know, there's this big parade for Rosalie and her family. Um, so she and her daughter and her husband are riding around the courthouse in a red convertible. It's a small mm, parade. Thank God she's okay. Like the firefighters' sirens were going off, and then they have like a brass band. So it was this big celebration, right? They needed something good. Yeah, and thank God she was okay. Yeah. Because it could have been a lot worse. So much worse. I bet she's so glad she bought a standard. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good reason. I mean, because if because he'd been able to drive, they would have knows? gone a lot farther. Oh, yeah. You know, they would have. Okay, so a few months later, so now we're in November of 86, um, he goes to court for the um, attempted robbery. Mm-hmm. They had to change it. They had to take it all the way to San Antonio because he had to have a change of venue. There's no way anybody in that town could be yeah. unbiased. So the jury only deliberated for 30 minutes. They found him guilty of robbing that couple at gunpoint and his, okay, get this McFadden's mother, sister, wife, and 16 year old daughter pleaded for leniency during the did punishment Did you say phase. wife? Yeah, I did. And 16 year old daughter. He is a husband and a father and Where? a son. Where? And we do we do love him. Where? Where is he a father? And sure is he a husband. Told the jury. Isn't that bullshit? Yeah. I mean, I feel sorry for them that that's that he is their family, but he's out of control and he's not going to stop. No. Clearly he's not no, going to stop. No, he wouldn't even stay in jail. No. June 1987, they charge him with capital murder. Now he's on trial. And of course, they had to move it to a different venue as well, but I don't know where they moved that one to. His lawyer only called one witness on the stand. And who do you think it was? This is for, this is for Suzanne's murder, right? Mm-hmm. Who do you think McFadden's attorney called to the witness stand? Only one person. Mm, I don't know. His 16-year-old daughter. Shut the front door. What can Her she name possibly... Is Rhonda. Please, he's my dad. If you kill him, then you're only doing what he did to other people. Uh, no, we're it's not, not raping an and assaulting someone. Exactly. Um, they did say that while most of the evidence was circumstantial, when it was presented as a whole, it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And they said that he did not testify in his trial. He never talked to any reporters. He would never do any interviews, even when he was on death row. He wouldn't talk to his attorneys. They never, ever got him to talk about anything. So they don't know any details of anything. He refused to talk, not even to his attorney. Damn. That is very uncommon. Like, I've not done a story where the the accused said nothing. Nothing. Usually they'll at least break down. To the attorney. Maybe that's because it wasn't in his favor to say anything. I, I don't 
none of the other prisoners have ever been so um, disciplined to keep their mouths shut. Usually they want to brag about it. Maybe he really wasn't happy about what he did. Maybe. Maybe he, I mean, maybe maybe he, he truly didn't like that he did it and so didn't want to relive it. Well, I did. There is quite a bit of information about him in a newspaper article. I think it might have been from the Tyler Morning Star or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. But this story isn't really about him as much, so I didn't want to go in detail. I will say high level. He was a bully in school. Him and his family were very poor, so he had it rough. Um, but that doesn't give him an excuse. They didn't say anything about mental. They did say that he didn't finish high school, so he probably only went to like seventh or eighth grade. But he was street smart. He knew what he was doing. He, I mean, he had a car. He was able to do all this shit. So um, anyway, I don't feel sorry for him. I so him. a month later, uh, jurors took 35 minutes to convict him, and they sentenced him to death. Good. No matter what his daughter said. Good. Although he was a, he was suspected of murdering Brian and Gina, he was never charged with their deaths. Well, that's some is, bullshit too. It is, but at least he got he got the death penalty, right? He did. We killed him. We killed him. About to tell you, he's convicted in July of ninety eight, July of eighty seven. So April of ninety, the Texas Court of Appeals hears arguments like he's trying to say that they wrongly dismissed some of the jurors. Blah blah blah. Three years later, they're like, no, it took three years, but finally they're like, no, it's we're upholding the conviction and your death sentence. It's not happening. You're going down. You got a good, you, you got what you got, and yeah, you're going down. So in October of 1999, he was executed by lethal injection. He was 51 at the time, and he made no final statement, which I know he wouldn't because he didn't even talk to the damn lawyer. Mm-hmm. Suzanne's mother and brother both attended. Uh, Suzanne's mother started crying. Whenever um, McFadden walked into the death chamber and she said he took our children and she just started crying. And Suzanne, Suzanne's brother, Craig, this one gives me chills, got as close to the window as he could so he could see McFadden gasp and sputter. And after he died, he said he's gutless. And wow. all of the family members say that Craig had no mean, he didn't have a mean bone in his body. But when it, after this, he was different. Like this fucked him up. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, we have four siblings, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine how, Mm -hmm. I mean, I love all of y'all so much. I can't imagine if somebody so violently took Mm -hmm. you from, and at such a young age, took you so violently, how I could ever see the world the same. I wouldn't. I would be ruined. February of 2019. Hmm. This came from the Glade Water Mirror. So I found it online. This is a story about a 40-year-old murder. Cold case detectives in Portland, Oregon, have identified Jerry Animal McFadden as the killer of a 20-year-old Anne Marie Havaca, who was found dead in July of 1979 in her apartment. So this guy's been terminated for how long? Terminated. (laughs) Yeah, we terminated his ass. For what, 20 years? 2019 from 99 is 20 years, uh-huh. right? 20 years. So in 2011, they finally did a full DNA profile of an unknown male from evidence at the scene of the crime from Anna Marie, mm-hmm. which was in Oregon. Mm-hmm. They kept trying to find a match. They had eight suspects. So they decided, you know what? We're going to go to the genealogy and see if we can't get a break from there. 
So once they did that, they were able to map three of the four familial lines of the killer, and that's how they identified it as McFadden. But to double check it, they drive the Oregon Police Department or the whoever was in charge there, drives to Texas, Texas, interviews and collects DNA samples from all of McFadden's family, who actually admitted that McFadden did drive to the Pacific Northwest in 1979 with an acquaintance from their hometown who this person said they dropped him off in Portland and never heard from him again. So he was in Oregon at the time that this happened. And for him to have been a Texas native and to have happened to be, maybe, do you think that was his first kill? No. I don't know if it was his first kill. It might have been because his, his rapes were back in 76 and 77. So mm-hmm. it might have been. I mean, that's a very good point. Maybe that's what sparked his interest. And in he couldn't stop after that. That's a very good point. Um, because clearly he was messy. He didn't care with no. what he left behind. No. He wasn't afraid to get caught. Once they submitted all of that DNA from his family to the Oregon State Police Crime Lab, they definitely cons- confirmed that he was the killer. So this family finally got closure after 40 years. And can you imagine how mad they must have been that they finally find the killer and this guy's already been killed by lethal injection here in our state and so he can't even be tried or anything Mm -hmm. no justice can be served nothing whatsoever or to even know what happened where how it got to where it got or anything it's just Mm -hmm. that's just it is what it is i found her obituary on find a grave and it says that anna marie was described as one is one of those who knew her as being a well-mannered young lady She was living with her boyfriend, and they were talking about getting married. She worked various jobs. The latest was at McDonald's. She was last seen alive on July 24th, 1975. Sorry, no, 1979, by a friend and co-worker outside her apartment building. Her sister found her deceased about five hours later. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled with the electric cord from her clock radio. So clearly he has an MO. Mm Mm-hmm. And there, after this part on the find a grave, there's another little uh, paragraph that said, this murder is unsolved. And if you have any information, contact this. And now there's another paragraph now that, that ties uh, McFadden to her death. So before that, before mm-hmm. this 2019, that was not there. And now it's there. That's all we know of. Like there's probably other people that he killed that we don't even know about. Yeah, I'm sure. Because... That means he would have killed four people. Rest in peace, Suzanne Harrison, Brian Boone, Gina Turner, and Anna Hablaka. Hablaka. That's so awful. So, wow, huh? Wow, yeah. I never heard of that one either. Me either. And he is on the Murderpedia. I don't know how I didn't ever pick it out from there. But, um, yeah. So now, the next time I go to Barnwell, I'm going to be very, I'm going to try to find, like, where they're talking about, there is a map. They kind of showed a topographical map. And maybe I can, like, go and get a picture there and mm-hmm. maybe put some flowers there. And mm-hmm. then I'll post them yeah. on our Facebook. It's a good one. thought it was a good one. I like how this story and the one I did last time, both, they got what they deserved. We killed yes. them back. Which we haven't had a lot. A lot of, we've had a lot of life in prisons, which I hate. Right. And... I did do a story similar to this, the Waco three where mm-hmm. they went to the lake and they never yeah. came home. And, um, but this is different because 
I know exactly where they've kind of where they crazy. found her how you were roped into this one yeah and i like i said i have other stories that i was gonna do but for some reason i just had this calling to like well let's just i already had hulu up okay so you know has like suggestions and i was like I, this has been on here like mm-hmm. i don't even know what's yeah. about i didn't really expect anything I to come of have it to watch it so yeah watch the episode it's pretty yeah. good they they interview rosalie and show more pictures and so that's my story that's case file 51 All right. It's a good one. You did good. Thank you. All right. Till next time. Thank you, guys. Love you. Thanks for all your support. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.